Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show. This is Howard Root, guest hosting for Sue today, who's off enjoying a week after the State Fair, listening to a little AM Talk Radio and FM by Steely Dan on AM Talk Radio. And I gave you a little full minute of Steely Dan on the way out there before the break as the radio amateur and me came through. Uh, but in this next segment, I think this is the one that I'm actually most excited about of all of the the, four, the two hours we have here today. And because this is interesting for me, I think it'll be interesting for you in a, in a way that a lot of people don't hear as to what's going on on our college campuses today with our conservative students and what they encounter when they're trying to get through four years at a liberal arts college without having their principles attacked, without having their grades destroyed, without having their future crippled by what I've seen as a liberal, persuasive uh, culture within college today. So joining me now, I'm bringing online, is Ryan. And I'm not going to use Ryan's last name because Ryan is still a senior in college at a Midwestern college. And uh, what he's going to talk about, I don't know if it's going to get dicey and for him, but I just don't want him to be thinking that he has to worry about someone from his college listening in and, and, and going after him afterwards. So, Ryan, welcome to the Sue Jeffers Show with Howard Root uh, sitting in for Sue. Are you there? Hi, Howard. How are you? Good, Ryan. Thanks for calling in, and I uh, hope you're enjoying this beautiful Saturday afternoon. So, oh, I, I am. It's wonderful. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Great. So, Ryan, why don't you give me a little bit of the background about uh, you know where you are. I know that you're a senior at a small Midwestern liberal arts college, which we will un- not name to protect the guilty here. Uh, and I, I know that you're also the president of the College Republicans there, but, but give me a little bit about your, your background and growing up and, and what you're studying in college today. Sure, I'm originally from uh, Minneapolis, from Minnesota, and uh, I've been going here the past four years. I'm a senior now. I study economics and international relations. It's been, uh, it's, been a wild, it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild ride at college. All in all, last year, last year was particularly bad after the election, but things are, have calmed down a little bit for the most part. But it's still, it's still an undercurrent of, you're not welcome here at our schools. This is our home. You're not welcome here. So let's dig into that a little bit. You're in the economics department, which I was an economics major at the University of Minnesota way back in the 80s, and that was kind of the conservative bastion of the liberal arts college. Are you telling me there's there's not good conservative free market principles economics professors at your school? Oh, that they definitely lean to the left. Like they they voted, they all voted for Hillary Clinton. But you're going to see professors. They're going to poke fun at Bernie Sanders. Like you know, I like the guy, but there's no economic sense to anything he says. So I can't I can't vote for him. And one of the most amusing anecdotes it was a uh, intro to microeconomics course. So a couple of days ago, we're talking about um, we're talking about supply and demand and how uh, price wars will cause a surplus. In the product that they, in the product that they are trying to, that you impose it on. A couple of days later, the professor, she's quite liberal, very, very, very smart, but she's quite liberal. Apparently, the, that price war, that the price war in terms of, and how it affects supply and demand, that doesn't apply to labor. So there she is giving a full-throated defense of the minimum wage, and I just. I probe her. I her a little bit. So she's saying the the principles of supply and demand don't apply to the minimum wage, basically. Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's that kind of stuff, and they all have they all have a bias towards um, 
more of the Keynesian style thinking and government going against the flow with um, with fiscal policy. So that Not you know, something. so we had that back in economics at the University of Minnesota. Here, there'd be the Keynesian guys and there's the supply side guys, and they'd be going at it. But how do you know the politics of your professors? I mean, I didn't really. We never had a discussion in class about politics. I could kind of guess maybe but it'd be a wild guess but how overt is it today in college campuses about the politics of the people teaching you everyone so some of the better professors you can't really you can't necessarily tell but you know you know that they're you know that they're quite liberal they'll say something they'll say something in a way that they'll say they'll say something that you can really deduce from it or they'll outright say it like oh i would never I would never have di- I would never have uh, dinner with Donald Trump in my family. That kind of thing. That was the out of the blue, out of the class. So, what's happened to you? I mean, you're you're known as the president of the college Republicans there on campus. Is are you uh, give me? Is there any examples of what's occurred to you in class now, uh, identified from the liberal professors or from the liberal establishment? I never really have any problems in class. The, the professors here aren't aren't bad by any sense. I, I do think there is a slight bias against me, but it's, it's it isn't particularly bad from the professors. Okay. Like I can write a, uh, in the in U.S. foreign policy class, I can write a paper on the Reagan doctrine. He'll give me a fair grade on it because he come to correct come to a, a conclusion that makes sense. It's the students. The students are the main problem and the administration that will, basically cater to them. So give us some examples of what goes on with the students at your college. Well, they took, they, they will, they will socially also. Basically, if you are a conservative, you largely disagree with them on politics. You're just basically, you have a shorter, you have a shorter tolerance. They have a shorter tolerance to you. If you, okay, you're a conservative, they'll, they'll work, they'll, uh, they'll hang out with you, with you for a little bit. But as soon as, you see or say something they don't like, and it just piles up, and then they start the rumors. The rumors start to fly, and oh, you're a racist or sexist, et cetera. I love being called a Nazi. I was uh, walking walking home from the bar on Friday night last night, and they and some some kid pipes up, "Hey, I heard you. Uh, I heard you yelling. Uh, Jews will not replace us." In, um, referencing the Charlottesville incident from a month ago or so, and. I was, I was quite insulted to say the least. So how do they know? How does this? I mean, it's a small school, so I guess everyone knows everyone. But how does this? So how does this get around? Have you had demonstrations pro Charlottesville, pro Nazis? Is there white supremacists on campus? Any, any uh, neo Nazi behavior in your town? No, no, no. He just, he just, he just, he just said that to to get at me essentially. Yeah. I responded by saying, yeah, I bought up all the tiki torches. Just don't take it seriously. That's the thing. Um, so what... Yeah, everyone's basically within one one degree of separation in terms of social circles. This kind of stuff gets around, and people like to gossip, and they like their public enemy number one, et cetera, to, to, to basically gossip right. about. So how many students are in the college Republicans there at your school? Um, it's been pretty slow lately. There just isn't a lot of there isn't a lot of uh, demand. If I could muster together college Republicans, I can get maybe 10. Most of them are my good friends. Okay. 
And have you had any speakers come to town, or would you ever consider having speakers with a conservative bent come in and talk at your college? We tried to do that last year. We tried to do that last year. It didn't really. It didn't really come. They really didn't come together. We've had speakers. We've had presidential candidates. They really. They went through without much. Without much, um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't an instant. Yeah, have you have you planned any other college speakers? Or you're a senior now, so what's what's your plan kind of going through this last year of school? What what do you think? You keep your head down and get out, or are you going to do uh, try to create some conservative momentum at the school? Or what what do you think you're going to do this year? I don't think I don't think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know real real interest in getting involved politically among those on the right. Most of the kids, there are plenty of conservatives there. They're just all athletes and they don't really care. Yeah. And, um, I will basically pursue my own product projects, get basically get out of here and get a job afterwards. Okay. I'm, I'm done with doing, trying to do that. Good. So we're going to, we're going to head to a break now. And then when we come back, Ryan, I want to get a little bit more as to what you see could be different and how the college experience could change or what you've learned or what you'd tell conservative students coming out of high school, going into college, that would make it easier on them than it has on you. And uh, we'll take your calls, too. So if you want to talk, call in and talk about the college educational experience and conservatives on campus, uh, give us a call at 651-989-5855. And we'll come back right after the break and another Steely Dan bumper music here on the Sue Jeffers Show with Howard Root sitting in on the Sue Jeffers Show on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show. This is Howard Ritz sitting in for Sue this afternoon. Times are hard for a conservative on college campuses today. We're talking to Ryan, who's a senior at a Midwestern liberal arts college, about his experience being a conservative on college campus. Ryan, you still there? I am. Yeah, so I think uh, I want to get into a little bit about advice you'd give to maybe those freshmen coming in from a conservative background. But before we do that, I'm going to take a call here. We've got Mike on line one who's going to talk about his views and expressing views on college. Uh, Mike, did I get you on the line here? Yes, sir. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we can hear you fine. I, it's it's amazing I can handle two things at once. So uh, go ahead. What's your comment uh, with uh, Ryan on college campuses and conservatives today? Well, I might tie this in again with what you were talking about earlier, but it's interesting that the left claims to be a champion for diversity of opinion, but you really see none of that today. In fact, I believe there was even a Senate hearing with Ben Shapiro and Adam Carolla when people try to go to these campuses. Uh, Coulter has had her speeches shut down. Ben Shapiro has these speeches shut down. And I find it interesting who is being attacked. It seems if you have a Western-centric or conservative, conservative Judeo-Christian viewpoint, which in my view, a lot of our heritage and our history comes from that, and I'll tie that into what you said at the beginning of the program, which I found astounding, that article in the New York Times, that there has been a conscious effort to demonize a certain group of people to magnify or bulwark up a certain political base to their advantage, and the progressive Democrats have done that. You see it in the media where Republicans 
are thrown immediately into the fire. They don't even get a chance to respond. You're basically, you're considered a racist. You're not allowed to have, speak or talk. It's the, it's total intolerance of a view that differs from the climate on campus. And sadly, we see this culturally in the media as well, as well. Yeah, I think it differs, and it differs in one way. It differs toward the right and conservative. Thanks, thanks, Mike, for that uh, for that comment. And I will uh, uh, let uh, Ryan jump in. And Ryan, what do you think about that? How do, how, do, how do you respond to Mike's comment? Oh, absolutely. The left, their the left's idea of tolerance is basically a tolerance for non values such as skin color and sexual orientation, gender. But that that tolerance goes away as soon as anybody thinks anything different than the than the mainstream than the mainstream um thought thought process right. the left. Now did you and, go through any training? I mean when they bring you in as a freshman, did they go through any, you know, inclusion, social justice training there and talk about respecting other people's views throughout your college experience? It was it was basically the the standard anti racist, anti sexist training so, that 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 implies or the and the and the uh, incredulous uh, anti-rape training as well that they do, right. um, which all implies that the enemy in their the enemy in their in the in the leftist paradigm, the straight white male is inclined to do these things, and it's deeply insulting. But that's how they that's how they operate, and it can be very shocking for new people who aren't who aren't um, prepared. So I know your background a little bit. How hard was it of you for you to sit there and listen to this and not get into a little argument as you're going through orientation to come into your college? At that point, I started to, uh, I just, I started, I started to make friends who sort of made, who sort of thought the same way I did. We just sort of gravitated together, and we're still friends to to this day. They're my sweet mates, and we just we just make little make little jokes about this here and there. All. How patronizing it is to um, the people they claim to protect, et cetera. But that's that. That's really the biggest thing. The biggest advice that I have um, for, if I were to do it all again, hey, don't don't assume that don't assume that any of your students, any of your um, uh, classmates are are good, honorable people. That that's the assumption I've, I've come to come to the conclusion that you cannot weigh on weigh upon them. I wish I could, but you can't. And to make friends before you ever think about um, sticking your neck out. Have a good safety, have a good, um, basically like a group of people who will fall back on you completely, you can completely trust. And if things ever get so bad, you can just retreat, retreat back to them, essentially. Well, isn't that encouraging? I mean, I, I got to agree with you, but it's so discouraging for me to hear. I'm, I'm a cynical 50-something-year-old white man. You know, for me to be skeptical is, is fine. That's in my nature by this age. But to hear a 20-something say that his advice to people is to be skeptical, to look inward, to have a small group of friends and never express your opinions on a college campus well, that's supposed to be... You can express your opinions. You just have to have that, 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 uh, that base before you're going to set, set your uh, put your neck out there because right. it's this is pol- this is politics I mean you can't take the heat get out and it's and the questions are too important to just sit along the side so just do the things necessary to protect yourself from from um, the 
the smear campaign that will follow. Well, it's to pick your pick your places, and when you don't have a, an advantage or you don't have something you can win or you can't defend your ground, then silence is oftentimes the best alternative I'm hearing. Don't try to fight battles you can't win. And in, in a college, the student is completely powerless to the institution and, and the power of the mob. Um, it, it would, you know, I'm just putting myself in your place. If I was there and, and walking home from a bar and people's calling me a Nazi, I, I don't know how you, you know, how you go back and study hard and have an optimistic view of, uh, of your college experience after, after going through that. It depends on how, it depends on how bad it gets. Like, are you, this is, I, I've been a political street brawler since, since I was senior year of high school. So I, people throw anything back at me and I'll throw a district right back out. And usually it's up the other side. They can't take it. But uh, what was I, what was I going to say? <laughs> but the, but- but how do you devise that? I mean, you're a street fighter. You you can take it. There's a lot of people you know, and, and you, I'm sure you have friends that can't take it. And you wouldn't advise them to go out there and and give it back to them. Is is better to walk away than to tend to have yourself get destroyed based on your principles? What what would you advise? Say that you were talking to a 18 uh, year old kid walking into his first day on college campus. And uh, more of an introverted guy, not a street fighter, but a conservative principled person. Uh, what would you be the advice, the best advice you've you've learned over the last four years that you'd give to that that new student? Again, make 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 close friends that you can trust, and if anything goes bad, you fall fall back to them, and they'll defend you as well. And again, pick your battles. There are so many different oppor- so many different opportunities. If I spoke out every time I saw something that I found abhorrent, it would. It would be nearly, it would be two, three times a week, and it would be exhausting. Right. And I just, I just have to get my, I just get have to get my fifty grand a year degree and get out of here. Okay, and get and uh, and find the job afterwards. (laughs) The other thing that I think would be very interesting is that they, they're not, they're not just inclined to. smear you, they'll call you racist, or and I, I've I've been worse stories. What they'll what they'll say to conservative associates of mine who graduated, thank goodness he's out of here. They'll do it even worse. But they will. I've walked I've walked into parties. It was right after the campaign, and this and, and this uh and this freshman this freshman girl walks up to me screaming screaming uh, epith- screaming epithets about Donald Trump. And literally starts punching me in the stomach as hard as she can, and I'm, I'm a guy. I can, I can take, I can take real hits. But this went on, for, this went on for twenty seconds, and I'm like, what is going on here? It's just shocking to me. Was she drunk? Was she? She was drunk, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. She was, Did anyone and, do anything? What was the reaction of the crowd? That's the great thing. That's the great thing about it. The crowd side was definitely side with her. And there's a yeah. reason I don't. That was the ultimate Frisbee team. There's a reason I don't really associate with those people anymore, because just most most of most of the most of the people on campus won't key your car. They're not gonna they're not gonna egg your door. They're not gonna try to break in, steal your stuff. But they're not gonna speak out of. But they're not gonna speak out of out against the the small minority that will, which right. makes it just as bad. Right. Well, that's 
That's discouraging. And, and you saw a remarkable difference when Trump was elected. Was that, you know, how, how much of it did it change after the presidential election last year? It just, it just, it just turned the heat up to 11. They were all... I thought they would be placated by being out of power, but apparently their cultural power precedes that. So it got it got much worse, much more. Uh, right. Much the, the heat on campus again. The, and, uh, Trump supporters got a lot hotter. And on the good side, it's calmed down a little bit this year as you got back to school. Yeah, it had. That was just the immediate after effects. When they they thought they were going to they thought they were going to win, and they're. They're leftists. They, they don't see a. Right. They see us as intolerant. So, when the intolerant wins, you have to. You have to. You have to rise up and try and try to squash them. And they haven't been able to do that. Well, that's an interesting story, Ryan. And I, I know you enough to know that you're going to fight on and fight through it. You'll you'll do well in college. You'll get a job. You'll be out there being successful. And uh, it's just unfortunate. I think about that. Four years of college are supposed to be the best for the best years of your life and build those friendships. And when you have to be so worried, not paranoid, but just worried, legitimately worried about people attacking you when you walk into parties, it just destroys the whole uplifting experience but i wish you well and i thank you for calling in here today and talking about your experience and uh i'll let you get back to enjoying a college life on a beautiful saturday afternoon thanks ryan thanks mr thanks for having me on have a good one thanks so we will uh head to a break right now and when we come back i'm going to have miller time i'm going to have representative tim miller call in he's a candidate for the 7th District, Western Minnesota, uh, currently a seat held by Colin Peterson for 28 years, a Democrat holding a seat that's a plus-12 Republican district that Trump won by 30 points. And we're going to learn about what Tim's going to do in his campaign to try to take that back from the Democrats to where it really should be on the on the Republican side. So we'll get to that after the break. This is Howard Roots sitting in for Sue Jeffers on Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show. This is Howard Root, guest hosting for Sue this week. Little Steely Dan sets the mood for a little Miller time right here in the last half hour of the Sue Jeffers Show on Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. So I'm going to bring online here Representative Tim Miller. Uh, Tim is the current state rep out in Princeburg in Candy, Ohio County, and is a candidate Republican side for the 7th District congressional race in 2018 against Colin Peterson. Uh, Tim, are you there? Welcome to the Sue Jeffers Show. I am here. Thanks for having me this afternoon, Howard. It's a beautiful day, and it's great to be here. Yeah, I can see out the window. It looks very nice. Uh, I'll get out there in about a half an hour and enjoy it. So um, why don't you give our listeners just kind of a little background about who you are um, and, 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 and where you are right now in your, uh, in your legislative career, and then we'll get into a little bit about the 7th District. Sure, Howard. Thanks. Well, just a little bit about me. Um, I was raised in a, in a blue-collar family of six. Uh, we were raised in a in a house. It was a it was a spacious 900 square foot house, so it was pretty. Oh, spacious 900. Yeah, that's a that's a that, as opposed to a tight 900 square feet, huh? That's right. Well, I had to share a bedroom with two older brothers. Being the youngest, you can imagine what that was like. But it was really good. Yeah. It, it, you know that was blue collar is good. Uh, blue collar teaches you work ethic. Uh, teaches you what's important. Family's important. Hard work and achieving. And I'm really taking that through my life. I, uh, I put myself through college. 
I also joined uh, the Army Reserves uh, to serve my country and, and also help with that college. Um, I'm an independent, I'm a small business owner. Um, I'm married with uh, a blended family of seven children. And as you uh, mentioned, I'm currently a state representative for District 17A. Well, that's a good uh, setup for what you're going to be doing going forward. And for those listeners here in the Twin Cities uh, may not know much about this 7th District, why don't you give a rundown of where the 7th District is and uh, what it's made up of and what's the current politics out in the western Minnesota? Absolutely, Howard. So the 7th District is, is essentially western Minnesota. It's a very large district due to population, 38 counties from the Canadian border all along the Dakotas, down to uh, Pipestone, there's one row of counties south along the Iowa border that are part of CD1. And then going east, uh, it, it includes Lake of the Woods, Todd County, kind of swings out to Meeker, McLeod, and Sibley, and then back again down to, down to uh, Cotton, uh, Cottonwood County. So it's a very big district, uh, very spread out. Our two biggest towns are uh, Moorhead and Wilmer. I'm closest to Wilmer. Princeburg is southwest of Wilmer by about 20 minutes, probably about 100 miles straight west of the Twin Cities is where I live, so that people understand. It's a very rural economy. Farming is, is very big, agribusiness in general, uh, but of course we have lots of other things. We do have colleges. We do have um, uh, other small businesses that are out there, a, a very great place to live. And the, the dynamics of uh, Congressional District 7 are a bit unique. It's, it's an R plus 12 district. Uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, won the district by 30 points, and yet we are a district that has the most, it's the most Republican district held by an incumbent uh, Democrat in Congress. And so the politics are a little bit confusing for people. Um, I think that has a lot to do with the size of it, has a lot to do with the politics that Colin Peterson has played over the years. And um, he's uh, done. He's really focused on um, the farm bill, which is certainly something that's important to CD7. But uh, the reason why I'm challenging him is, is because there's a lot more to CD7. There's actually a lot more to agriculture than just that farm bill, and I believe that he's lagged behind in that. So if Trump wins by 30 points, you mean Trump got 60% where Hillary got 30% in 2016. Um, and Colin Peterson won re-election for the 14th time to serve his 28th year in Congress. Uh, that, you know, you said that's that's the biggest anomaly in the congressional map in the United States. How does how does that happen? Uh, what do you see as the lacking force in getting Colin Peterson voted out of office with that kind of a district? There's there's been very little. There have not been uh, many strong campaigns over the years up against him. Early on, when he was elected, there was a couple in early on, but it's been really non-competitive for many years. Uh, this last time, the person who ran against him uh, lost by only about five points. But think of that, though. Uh, Colin Peterson had to overcome um, the 30 points of Trump and pull ahead by that by that five points. Uh, the person who ran last time did not raise a whole lot of money. It was under $20,000 and did not really have a campaign structure necessary, particularly for such a, a big district. And that's what it's going to take. It's, it's going to take someone who for sure has the work ethic but has the capacity to be able to raise the necessary funds. I personally don't like that politics is about money, but particularly when you're running for Congress, it is most certainly about money. And, and I don't get to rewrite those rules. It takes a lot of funds to be able to get your message out in a district this large. And it's going to require that. And then it's also going to take the ability to build a team, which I have done. 
um, and then build a network throughout the district, which we are working on right now. But I, this, this is a very winnable district, and I'm confident that we're going to be able to win it. So, yeah, so the, the candidate last year raised around 20000 less than $30,000 to run his whole campaign, came within five points. Um, so you can do better than that. Uh, you can build a team throughout, but it's also going to have to take a message to get a guy voted out of, out of office. So what's your message to the CD7 voters is why well, why Republicans should vote for the Republican as opposed to the Democrat, Colin Peterson, for the uh, 15th time? Well, it's most certainly time for a fresh voice in Minnesota. I look at the last 28 years that Colin Peterson has been in office, and um, that's his legacy. And what have we seen in rural Minnesota? We've seen population decline. We've seen businesses move out. We've seen our children move out and not come back, our greatest asset. We've had regulations and taxes, which have really driven a lot of the problems that we had. So Colin Peterson's uh, legacy there isn't, isn't quite so good. I think we need to address those issues. I think we have a bright future in rural Minnesota. I see young families in the town that I live in that are looking for opportunities and wanting to live here. We just have to give them those opportunities. So let's talk specifics a little bit. What specific top priorities would you have in Congress if you're elected in 2018? Well, first and foremost, we have to fix a big problem, and that's health care. Uh, health care has been a topic that's been big for many years here in, in, the, United, in the whole United States, but in, in western Minnesota in the last year and a half particularly. In the Minnesota House, I've had to work on these things because the individual market has collapsed out there. And when it comes to insurance, by far the most people out, out here are uh, on the individual market. I um, got put, put forward a bill last year, and it was signed into law by Governor Dayton. Yes, he does sign some laws uh, by Republicans or bills by Republicans into law when they're good. And it's the Agricultural Cooperative Health Plan, and it provides an opportunity for farmers to get uh, insurance through a cooperative. But health care is most certainly the top of the list, and that's something that Cowan is not good on. He uh, voted against the repeal most recently, uh, he has continued to say, I don't have any ideas, but the Republican ideas are not good. He's dragged his feet. He has nothing on that. But then here in, in Minnesota, uh, most certainly in rural Minnesota, the regulations that are on agriculture and agribusiness are just stifling, and it's very difficult to expand your business. The taxes, the taxes are very difficult on it. So I would say that that's a, an important thing as well. But going to Washington, you know, a lot of people ask me, so what are you going to do when you go to Washington? And, of course, there's the issues like health care, like taxes, like regulations. But I want people to also know that, that it's about time that we have a fresh voice that goes there, shows some courage, has authenticity, has integrity to do the things that people want to do. I can't tell you how many times that I've been in the, since I've been in the Minnesota House, people have said, well, why can't we just do the common sense thing? I can tell you government doesn't need to be that complicated. We can do the common sense thing if we have the courage to be able to do it, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, that's great, Tim. And we're talking to Representative Tim Miller running as a Republican for the, the 7th District in western Minnesota. Uh, Tim, why don't you give them the website and we'll, before we go to break here? Absolutely. So you can find more information about me at my website, and that is at Tim, T-I-M, for F-O-R-M-N, so Tim4MN.com. Okay, we'll, we'll head to a break here, and then when we come back, we're going to go more in-depth with Tim on some of the issues with the establishment Republicans and things that are going on in D.C. and 
quite frankly, the job, the question I like to ask everyone, I mean, Congress is a miserable job. Why do you want to do this? Because it doesn't make any sense to guys like me why someone would want to sign up voluntarily for this job. And we'll get to that after we take this break and one more Steely Dan bumper music on the Sue Jeffers Show with Howard Roots sitting in for Sue Jeffers on this Saturday afternoon on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and com. Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show. This is Howard Roots sitting in for Sue Jeffers on a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Minnesota on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and com. Now, before we went to break, we're talking to Representative Tim Miller, uh, State Representative Tim Miller, who's running for Congress in the 7th District of Minnesota against uh, 28-year incumbent Colin Peterson. And, uh, Tim, I wanted to get into a, a little bit more of the political side of things with you. Uh, as we, we delve into the details here and, and ask you the question that a lot of Republican candidates will be asked when they come up for election next year. Do you support Donald Trump? Oh, I absolutely pre- absolutely support President Trump. I think that he went in there and he shook up the establishment. And he's uh, for the first time in a long time, we have uh, people in Washington looking at things in a new way. And I'm, I'm very proud of the work that he's done. So what do you think about the establishment then? Because there's been this ongoing war, uh, and now Trump is talking about uh, uh, Chuck and Nancy uh, as the people he's working with in Congress to get things done. And, and what do you see in D.C.? And as, as, a, as a new member to D.C., hopefully in 2019, um, how would you take your position with the establishment Republicans that uh, dominate right now in Congress and Senate? Well, certainly through my experience uh, in the Minnesota House, there's there's going to be... Um, times where we have to make sure that we communicate clearly, that we have an understanding of things. But it's, time, it's a time for boldness, and that's why I think that people uh, chose uh, Donald Trump as their president, because they're looking for people that have bold ideas, willing to take those bold actions, have the courage to be able to do those. And so that's what I certainly plan to do uh, when I go to Washington, D.C. Uh, certainly I can't change it all by myself, but I believe that it, with one person going in there and, and speaking Speaking common sense, as I've said, and uh, showing the courage to be able to press forward, I think we can make those changes. I think President Trump is looking for people like that, and I plan to be one of those that can help him get his agenda done. So what do you think about the specific policies? Let's get into immigration a little bit. What's your position on immigration and the refugee resettlement program? We certainly need to secure our borders. That is that is something that we need to do for many different reasons. I don't want to get into uh, due to time here, but we need to certainly secure our borders. And then by all means, we want productive citizens here. We want people that uh, benefit our society, that contribute, uh, that work alongside each other. But there are many people here because of many years of bad immigration policy. We have people here that really shouldn't be here, and we need to address those, and we need to be able to uh, deal with those properly. Now, with the Refugee Resettlement Act, uh, we see a great deal of that out here. Um, in the town of Wilmer, which is really close. It's not in my district, but it's very close to my home. The Refugee Resettlement Act has been played out right in front of us, and it's a disastrous policy. It is, it is um, ill-intended. It's, its motivations are misdirected, and it's causing a lot of social problems out here. And I can tell you, Candy, Ohio County, and other counties who have seen this, are really facing a financial burden. Uh, it, it's really putting a stress on the system out here. 
So let's get back to the farm bill, because that's always what Colin Peterson's talking about uh, is the reason why he should be reelected is he brings home the bacon. Of course, that was back when the Democrats were in the majority and he was on the Ag Committee and he could guarantee that the farm bill would be loaded up with things for the 7th District. Now he's in the minority, a little bit different pitch from him as to what he can do in his power in D.C. But but how do you talk about the farm bill to the residents of the 7th District and to the rural economy? Well, one of the things that's really important to understand is the Colin Peterson that comes out here, the district is completely different from the Colin Peterson that is in Washington, D.C., and, and that's something that I plan to show, some of those some of those things that he does, some of those things that he says. He, he comes out here with the farm bill, and here's what's interesting. I, I do a great deal of work with agriculture here in my, in my current uh, status. I'm the vice chair of agriculture finance, so I certainly know a lot of the same people and, and the issues. And Colin's very good at saying, look over here, look over here at this farm bill. Well, the reality is when you talk to agriculture, their number one issue right now is actually health care, which I mentioned early. When it comes to agriculture, their number one issue is free trade, and that's something that Colin is not good at. And when it, in, in regard to the farm bill, um, really about the only program in the farm bill that people say is working, and they'd even like to see changes in that, is the crop insurance. But the rest of it, the word is, is, you know what, the farm bill is really not uh, the, as big a deal to us, and that's because of these other issues. Right now, Colin has been very, his, his position has been restrictive on trade, and for the biggest growth sector in agriculture are proteins, um, uh, cattle, pork, dairy. These are areas that have a great opportunity for growth, but the growth is going to be with free trade uh, with, other, with other countries. So let's go back to healthcare a little bit then. As as you say, you want to repeal Obamacare. What what would you replace it with? What you know? What in healthcare for your seventh district? What's the most important thing for them, for the citizens, to see as an improvement in their healthcare system? Well, the most important thing that we need to get back to is is that patient doctor relationship, and that's what drives the decisions that we make. What's the best care for the person that's going to be there? Um, and that's what people are most certainly looking for. Uh, another issue that we have here in rural Minnesota, understand that when it comes to insurance, premiums are, are just catastrophic. Right now you're looking at a, a very normal family where their premiums are 1800 to $2,500 a month, and that's with a $14,000 deductible. That's not sustainable. That is not something that people can afford. And that's why I came forward last year in part uh, one of the solutions was with my um, agricultural cooperative health plan because that's going to be able to bring down these premiums. Another thing that we need to be able to do is give people choice. Right now, you basically have Blue Plus, and there is Medica, but it's capped. And so really, there's no new people able to get on that. So primarily, anyone that's on the open market has to go through Blue Plus, which is not a product that was intended to carry this load. It was, it was meant as an alternative. And what's happening is, is people are paying these premiums and then they can't even see their own doctors. They can't go to the Mayo Clinic anymore. This is very serious stuff, and those are the things that we need to be addressing. So those issues sound like they resonate pretty solid with the 7th District, a district that's plus 12 and voted for Trump plus 30. Um, it's, a, it's a unique opportunity, but a lot of the Republicans in this state that I hear about, and, and I've only been in the Republican politics for about uh, seven months now since I sold my company in February and was able to get more actively involved. And as I looked at it, the more and more people are, are not more and more, I'd say it's, it's a consistent refrain, maybe less and less a little bit, but I still hear a lot of people in Minnesota Republican politics saying we cannot win the 7th District. 
uh, at all. And why why do you think that is, or what's what's your take on that? Uh, I mean, I know we haven't run great campaigns, but is there something specific about Colin Peterson that they think is unbeatable? Uh, well, people may say that, but I, you know, it's it's the numbers are there. If you, no matter which way you look at it, this is a very winnable seat. Uh, Donald Trump winning by thirty points. It's an R plus twelve district. And I, I often tell people it's not so much Colin. I mean, that's you know the incumbency is there, but 28 years of incumbency. I think I think it's time for a fresh voice. But the incumbency is not as big a deal as just the sheer geography. Now, one thing that I uh, want to tell about myself, you know, kind of what puts me in a very strong position uh, to be able to accomplish this. For people that don't know, District 17A at state level campaigns is a very large district. Certainly, only a portion of Congressional District 7, but between my two furthest towns is 94 miles. And it's a very diverse group of people in a very similar way that we're talking about that, and getting your message out can be difficult. I can tell you in 2014, I was able to penetrate this district with my message, show who the other person was really about, and I, I beat the incumbent by 11 points. This isn't a district that's been held by a, demo, by a Democrat, one Democrat or another, for over 30 years. So I'm certainly confident that if we can get our message out, and I am confident that we can get that out, that uh, what we need to do is we need to be able to get that R plus 12 and have Republicans confident that they can vote for a Republican. This is a little bit different than my House race uh, to where it is, a, it is a neutral district. It leans a little bit Democrat. In my two biggest counties, it's most certainly Democrat. I had to get some crossover. We do not have to get independents. We do not have to get Democrats. We just have to get Republicans to stay home and vote for their con- for their congressmen, and I'm confident that we're going to be able to do that. Well, that seems like a real tangible result and a possible result and not a long shot like some congressional districts are. Uh, just to remind people, if they want to get more about you and contribute to your campaign, which every politician always can use the contributions, where do they go to, to look you up? Well, they can look me up at my website. That's perhaps the best place, and that's at Tim, F-O-R, Tim4MN.com, so T-I-M-F-O-R-M-N.com. And I certainly hope for the support, and I want to encourage people that this is, you know, this is, this is uh, confidence, not bravado, that we can win this district. I think the reason why people have said, well, it can't be won, is because it hasn't been won. That's the same challenge that I had when I was running for the state house. Well, that's been a Democrat seat forever even though people thought, well, it could be Republican, it should be Republican. And you also have to look at Congressional District 7, our House, our state House and Senate members. The entire CD7 is red, except for the Moorhead area. That wow. should be telling people that the right race, we can win this. So if you, don't, if you do not win next year, uh, and then Colin retires, will you run again in 2020? Howard, I can say with absolute confidence that I will run again in 2020 for my re-election. <laughs> Good answer. I like the confidence. That's Representative Tim Miller here giving his update on his 7th District campaign. Thanks, Tim, for calling in. So that's going to do it for us today on the Sue Jeffers Show with Howard Root, your guest host, my sophomore performance. Uh, only a few, a few flubs, and my flubs means you get to listen to more Steely Dan music there at the end of the first hour. Uh, it's been a great time. Thank you, Stan, for, for making me uh, feel welcome and uh, f- and covering my uh, backside. 
He did fine. Good, good. Maybe Sue will invite me back fine. again. Better than fine. I can take better than fine. I want to thank all my guests, Scott, John- Scott Johnson and Ryan and Representative Tim Miller, who called in. And thank you, the listeners, for listening to the Sue Jeffers Show this beautiful Saturday afternoon. This is Howard Root saying thank you to everyone for listening and Sue for letting me guest host her show. Thank you. Tomorrow.